Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Thursday, April 22nd, Earth Day. For those of you that celebrate Earth Day, I remember the first Earth Day back in the 90s. This is the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. I'm J.C. Sherbert here with you. Big weekend in Columbia starts today. We have weather announcements forthcoming. (laughs) I don't know how they'll end up being, uh, but uh, tonight the weather looks good. South Carolina art number one, Arkansas. Uh, number, I guess the Gamecocks are number 11 in, in most polls, or at least the poll people cite the most often. A lot of baseball polls. Somebody needs to come up with a like a composite baseball ranking. I think that'd be kind of cool, like we do for recruiting rankings at 24-7 Sports, have the baseball composite, uh, just because the polls do differ sometimes. And um, I, I don't know, even when you're looking at who's going to host and things like that, that the polls matter. I think it's more of a an RPI thing that the committee looks at, but, uh, anyway, here we are. And, uh, it, it's a big one. It's a big, uh, big, big, big series this weekend for the Gamecocks. And, and they're all going to be big from now on because it's not, <laughs> you know, you, you, you don't have much rest, uh, coming up after this one. Cause I think they go to Ole Miss and then Mississippi state comes in. It's a quite a gauntlet through the end of the year, even Kentucky, that series is on the road, but, Kentucky's played competitive baseball uh, at times this season. They're probably not uh, in that top group, but they're right there. Um, Okay, so strength of schedule, rating for the Gamecocks, believe it or not, uh, is 21st, according to Boyd's World. Uh, And I'll look at the RPI. Fairfield is 22-0. It's still tops in the RPI. The Gamecocks are 11th. Uh, shoot, Oregon, Fairfield, Arkansas, Tennessee, Oregon, TCU, Vandy, East Carolina, Louisiana Tech, Arizona, Mississippi State, and South Carolina. So Gamecocks uh, probably right now project pretty well to be a um, regional host, and those will be announced pretty soon. And obviously this weekend is going to go a long way towards solidifying that. Uh, and if they want to be a top eight or a super regional host, um, the more wins, the better the next few weeks because that's uh, something else uh, entirely. It's hard to break through to that top eight. Uh, Gamecocks, oh, USC Upstate's 31st in the RPI. How about that? The old uh, alma mater there. The, the Spartans used to be the Rifles. and used to be USC Spartanburg, but uh, it's the USC Upstate Spartans now. So congratulations to them. Uh, Pittsburgh is a team out of the ACC that's having kind of a miracle-type year. Uh, They've only been to, I think, two NCAA tournaments. Cold-weather team, right? Uh, I see them projected a lot to come to Columbia for the regional. Uh, They're 20th in the RPI right now, uh, right ahead of Stanford, Georgia, Alabama, and some other teams. So that's your RPI update from courtesy of boydsworld.com and it's uh it's boys world you know uh so who knows <laughs> but uh that's just one rpi group but uh i think you know they're pretty accurate or whatever so pulled that up gave that to you all right so we've been talking about position by position 
uh, touching on the different positions heading into the football spring game. Uh, Gamecocks head coach Shane Beamer on the call-in show last night. Carolina calls. I think – I don't know that this was his first one. Maybe it was his second. Maybe it was his first. Uh, really good job, I thought, you know, being honest and informative at the same time. Um, and he says that there are some options to get it in. They're going to respect the baseball deal. Uh, we'll see. I mean, you know, they could end up really, to be honest, if they just go ahead and say, all right, the weather's going to screw Saturday. Uh, and like I said, I don't know, you know, in terms of like the, you know, the when you're going to have, uh, how long you can spring practice, you know, that kind of thing. I don't know if they're bumping up against the deadline for Sunday or not. I think Sunday would be obviously be ideal because there is no baseball game and the weather's supposed to be really nice in Columbia that day and, and all that after a day of rain. Uh, but, but I could also see them maybe kicking it off at 10 a.m. Friday. And for those of you that have to work and had tickets and all that, that would be unfortunate. Um, but if they're looking at a doubleheader in baseball, on Friday, you know, you could kick it off in the morning and then you still have the baseball game at noon and then game two right after that. Um, and we'll see sort of what happens uh, with that moving forward. But uh, expect an announcement today. Uh, stay tuned to thebigspur.com. Uh, follow thebigspur.com on Twitter at thebigspur247 uh, for that breaking news or join the site. We got some pretty good deals going on on the site. Uh, if you sign up, uh, for an annual membership right away you, you right away get paramount plus if you want to sign up for a free trial it only costs you i think a dollar uh and then once you start charging the 995 or whatever a month 995 plus tax is what it is um so this comes out of like 1060 or something like that uh then once you start paying full price you do get paramount plus with that as well it is a uh you know with, with paramount plus with you know 24 7 sports uh ultimate uh all access vip you know you get for about you know 100 bucks uh, or therefore i think there's even uh some discounts on annuals right now uh you know you get something that's like 250 dollars a year value uh and, and look one of the most common things i've heard from people that don't want to join the website or that can't join the website is their wife gets on them for it um and i know how that feels because back in before I got in this business in the early 2000s, the same thing happened to me. What's this 995 coming out for this stupid message board or whatever? Well, if you do this, you can you could get say, well, hey, honey, we, we got Paramount Plus for you and the kids, and, and I get to enjoy this. And, you know, it, it's a lot of entertainment and enjoyment for the whole family uh, for a low price. And we did have somebody sign up yesterday, and I want to thank you, uh, the new member that signed up yesterday because of, the pitch on the podcast. I don't like to pitch it too much because I do think, you know, this is a free podcast for now. Um, and I think if it ever was pay, we probably go to something to where it remains free, but, you know, maybe people give some donations or whatever to get a little extra episodes or, or whatever. That's, that's way down the road though, because you never know what's going to happen. And at some point you're going to have to monetize this show but my intention is to keep it completely free to anybody who wants to listen. Uh, and a, it's, a, it's, a, it's connected with the Big Spur and 24-7 Sports, but it is a separate product. And, and we, want, we have a broader audience for it. Um, so so don't, don't think I'm just sitting here 
you know, pimping my business. And, and, and you know, because if I were wanting to do that, I'd be like, hey, guess what? Great scoop on the big spur. <laughs> Go there and join or I won't tell you, you know, and that's just not uh, that's just not something that, that I think is very beneficial to a, a podcast where we're trying to grow numbers. And we are ranked the number one Gamecock podcast uh, according to Feedbot, I think Feedbot, something like that. So, anyway, uh, that's the deal there. So, spring game, we'll know the, the fate of the spring game. Uh, you know, I, I felt encouraged by Beamer's comments yesterday because most of the time at most schools, if the spring game weather isn't working out, they just cancel it. They, they just, you know, because you don't want to go out there in the rain and risk an injury if it's unsafe conditions. Um, it's just a scrimmage, you know, most coaches don't even like the spring games. Um, but I think when the first year of a coaching staff, when, you know, you're, you're trying to get the fan base to rally behind you, cause it's been a tough run. I mean, South Carolina's lost 19 out of their last 27 football games. Okay. And there's been some ugly ones in there too. I mean, it's not just that they've been coming up short and, you know, losing on last second field goals. <laughs> uh, it's, it's been rough. You know, there's been everything from blown leads to surprising shutouts by the likes of Virginia to uh, a blow in a lead against North Carolina to losing to App State at home. And, and then you sandwich pretty big wins against Auburn and Georgia in there. And it's just, it's baffling. It's baffling. Um, and, and so I understand, you know, and then you, you know, obviously the, the old in-state rival up the road hadn't slowed down. I mean, you know, they're not they're not losing many games uh, up there, and obviously that's uh, a big change from when both teams were good at the early part of the decade and Carolina was winning that series. So, I, you know, I, so the point of all that is, you know, Shane Beamer understands and the whole coaching staff understands, you know, you got to get the fans behind you. Now, this was not as much of a polarizing hire as Will Muschamp was because, you know, and, and there are people out there that were not fired up about the Beamer hire, um, namely for reasons that I don't understand. Um, that's not to say it's going to work out because obviously there are reasons that people didn't like Will Muschamp that I didn't understand at the time. Like, you know, what happened at Florida happened at Florida and really has nothing to do with Carolina. It really doesn't. But, uh, Obviously, history sort of repeated itself there. Well, there's no history with Shane Beamer, but people are worried about things like how he's never been a coordinator. And I don't, I don't, I, don't, I think that being a head coach is so different than being a coordinator these days that, you know, you, you can take your chances with whoever as long as he, you know, hires a good coaching staff and has a good plan or, or, or you know, whatever. Um, I, I think, you know, the days of head coaches that are, Offensive, defensive minds, uh, you know, I don't I don't know that, you know, you're going to have guys that are offensive and defensive minds that, that fail at a higher clip. I know a lot have failed, though. Um, but I think that those guys that have those offensive, defensive minds do have to have a little bit of extra uh, ability to be a head coach. And, and, I, and I'll tell you this. Steve Spurrier, as a head coach, had some things he did that nobody understands because um, it's all about, you know, calling ball plays or whatever. But, but as a head coach, he was masterful at, at motivating his team in a unique manner. Didn't put any pressure on him to win. Uh, game days were really relaxed. 
it was just all about going out and playing your best. And, and I think Carolina, if you look at, you know, even the team Spurrier had that were not loaded, you know, they went out and relaxed and played football and were in games. Whereas most champs teams look tighter than, you know, what out there, uh, not, not scared necessarily, but the tight. And when you, when you're playing tight and nervous or whatever, you're, you're going to make mistakes. So even Steve Spurrier, as great as he was as a play caller, had great head coach instincts. Uh, same with Nick Saban. You know, Nick Saban could coordinate a defense, coach a position like like no other. But his organization and what he does and his plan specifically for his programs uh, has been good, the programs he's been at. You know, I, I don't know that Saban's plan works everywhere. Uh, if you look around college football, you know, you, you've basically had three – powerhouse teams uh, plus Oklahoma that are consistently in the mix. And, you know, you, you have, you had urban Meyer at Ohio state. Now Ryan day, who's a little looser. Dabo Sweeney, certainly not Nick Saban at Clemson. Lincoln Riley, certainly not uh, Nick Saban at Oklahoma, you know, so there's different paths to success. Uh, And around the sec, the teams that have, you know, achieved more than Alabama, with the exception of Georgia in 2017, where, you know, they didn't beat Alabama. They, they just got through the playoff and played Alabama for all the marbles. And they're obviously built like Bama because of Kirby Smart. Uh, but, you know, Auburn and LSU uh, aren't necessarily built anything close to Alabama. You know, they're, 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 they're a lot different. Um, and that LSU team that won it all was a lot different. <laughs> then, then, then Alabama and Ed Orgeron's a lot different, you know. Even Florida last year came within six points of Bama in the championship game, closest game all year. That's Mullins a lot different, you know. So the teams in the SEC, you know, with the exception of Kirby at Georgia, and I'll give him that. I mean, people people down there grumble, but he's fifty two and fourteen. Uh, you know that they've tried to copy Bama and it hadn't worked. Florida under Muschamp, Carolina under Muschamp, uh, Dooley and Pruitt at Tennessee, McIlwain at Florida, all former assistants under um, Nick Saban, and all have failed. Now, there is Jimbo Fisher, who 20 years ago coached under Saban. Um, there are some similarities there, but but Jimbo Fisher is sort of Jimbo Fisher, and he's at A&M and, and doing a really good job. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see how all that works out, but Back to my original point again, I've been kind of rambling here. Um, you know, th- this hire w- was more popular than Muschamp. Uh, but there's still some people out there that are, that are skeptical, and, and you need everybody you can get. Um, and one of the ways you can get them to rally uh, is to have a spring game, you know, so, because people fear the unknown, especially after what happened with the Muschamp era where, uh, you know, a lot of people like to blame us. Um, the media, because it's an easy scapegoat or, or analyst or experts or whatever. But, uh, you know, a lot of the things that Muschamp talked about ended up not being, I don't want to say not being true because I'm not, I'm not calling the guy a liar. I just, it just ended up, it didn't match with the performance on the field. Um, and, and I think a lot just didn't, didn't, didn't add up. Uh, and so you hear good things and you hear positive things and you want to believe it, but, you know, people kind of have a little bit of uh, shell shock from that era because they wanted to believe over and over again. And then every time you got to the point where you said, okay, this is going well, something happened like a game where you, Gamecocks fell flat on their face. 
And I understand that. But uh, and the point is, it's a new era. There's a new coach. There's a brand new staff with the exception of Mike Peterson. And thank goodness he stayed because a lot of those guys just love Mike Peterson and they're very happy he's back. Um, you know, from that standpoint, you know, you, you got to give them a shot. Uh, and one of the ways I think to win over naysayers is have a spring game where people kind of look out and say, oh, well, this is kind of the idea on offense. They're not going to run the whole thing. This is kind of the idea on defense. I sort of like it. And this guy looked good. And there are some completed passes. And this guy looked good on D. You know, and, and you, t- you you know, you go through it like that. So I, I, I said all that's a mouthful. Uh, and I said all that to say that I think that with this specific year, whereas at most schools under most coaches who are down the road in their tenure, they just cancel it if they couldn't get it in. Um, I think that they do feel it is important to get it in and they're going to try to do it. Now, does that guarantee they're going to do it? No. In fact, by the time you listen to this podcast, the decision may have been made and uh, Carolina may not be having a spring game, but uh, I think they're going to do everything they can to get it in. The other thing is the format of the game from what Beamer said, they may have to just go offense versus defense if they don't have enough players to, you know, safely divide up the teams. And when I say safely, I mean, you know, you don't want to put guys out there at one spot playing the entire, um, you know, the entire play, you know, deal and get them hurt or something like that. You know, so Carolina, um, you know, they're going to operate with, you know, what the safest route is. Uh, and that's fine, too. I mean, I, I personally, just from a let's evaluate talent standpoint, wouldn't mind seeing the first offense against the first defense, good on good. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind that at all. Um, I also see the, uh, the the thought with with dividing it up into two teams like Coach Spurrier used to do and having a game, you know. Uh, I think that's a good competitive drill for the guys. And that also doesn't show you a lot. You know, you, 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 you know if you're an opposing coach, you want to pop in the tape, because uh, popping in tapes, just not looking at scheme and saying, well, they're going to do this on first and 10 and they're going to do this on second and five and, and tendencies. It's also personnel evaluation. What you're doing when you're game planning is you're looking for who's bad. Where are the holes? Okay, well, this corner, number six, you know, he's going to start and he can't cover this route or he struggles against this and so we're going to match this guy up with this guy. Uh, and you do it that way. Well, if you don't really have your first team out there on either side and you're just kind of playing and they're sprinkled all around uh, for an opposing scouting department or or coach or whoever, it's hard, really hard uh, to get a beat on that. That's another thing Steve Spurrier is really good at, finding the the bad players. (laughs) Uh, Remember a defensive back that played at LSU did an interview one time and it was when LSU wasn't very good and it was down in the swamp and, you know, they were on the sideline closest to Spurrier, and he he heard Spurrier just yell out to Danny Werfel, throw it to this guy, and pointed at that, you know, him and his guy. And, and I think one of those Redell Anthony or somebody ran a, an out, and sure enough, he called it. <laughs> that's just got to be humiliating. But, you know, that that's that's what Spurrier did. You know, new, new defensive back came in the game, he'd go right at him. Um, and that kind of thing. And, and you know, so, so the point about that is it's harder to tell, you know, who you're going against when there's a divided roster like that. You don't want to give anything away in the spring game. I agree with that. But you also want to get some ideas about some individuals and, and put on a show for your fans.
you know, as I mentioned earlier. So with that, we're going to roll through the rest of the positions um, because I don't know, it, it may not be on Saturday. So I'm going to go ahead and knock all these out because we talked about the D line, we talked about the running backs, talked about the DBs, uh, backup running backs, that is. Um, and that's fine because you kind of know Kevin Harris. I, I don't think it's intriguing podcasting to sit here and talk about Kevin Harris over and over again. Uh, but linebacker, so so here's here's my question. You know, two guys I've got an eye on, Brad Johnson, because for the second straight year under a new staff, he's getting a lot of praise. Now, he's moved from that Sam Backer position. That's a standing buck or what to the, I guess, the will, which is an inside backer in this system. Uh, he's been on record as saying he's not thinking as much. And, and I think that was the problem with Brad last year. He he didn't play his assignments. And if you're a linebacker and you don't play your assignments, uh, you, you're basically screwed. Um, and he had a neck stinger, you know, wasn't exactly healthy like a lot of guys. So I'm, I got some eyes on Brad Johnson, Debo Williams, that backer. Um, Mo Cabba's been out. I don't know if he'll be back. Uh, you know, I'd like to see Rosendo Lewis do something. Hadn't heard a lot about him at all. Uh, he hadn't played in a long time, so he's probably kind of getting his feet under him. Uh, and, and, you know, looking at it, figuring it out. You know, I, I think that there's only two that they play, so you don't have to be super deep numbers-wise, but I do think you need guys you can line up out there. Right now, Damani Staley's the starter at Mike. Uh, I think Damani is a, a great Gamecock and – Obviously tries really hard. Uh, and, and look, I mean, I'm not ruling it out. Maybe he's the starting Mike this year and he's improved and all that. But, you know, you need more than that, I think, on the inside. Uh, and so that's what I'm looking at. Brad Johnson is going to be a big focus of mine with the linebackers. Tight ends, uh, you know, I think, look, if Nick Muse goes out there and drops a pass during the spring game, people are going to gripe and complain. But from everything I've heard, he's ready to take a step forward. Uh, and toward the end of last year, he was coming on. And, and, I, and I think, too, one thing that gets underappreciated about Nick is he did have a serious knee injury, and he did come back pretty quick from it. And he, he's talked about how the brace kind of messed him up a little bit. Now, I don't know if that means, yeah, you should have dropped that pass against Tennessee or not, uh, or dropped the pass as you did or not blocked as well. But all that affects a player. Remember, these are human beings. They're not uh, robots. It's not Xbox. Uh, and so – but I think they know what they're going to get out of him. E.J. Jenkins, obviously, has been a guy that's been talked up 6'7", 242. Uh, everybody's talking about him. He's created kind of a buzz physically. I just want to see how he does kind of with this speed, you know, because it's a lot faster than St. Francis. Uh, I want to see that. Uh, Jaheim Bell's a player that they plan to use in a lot of ways. I'm, I don't know that they're going to get into all that, like play calling wise, but I want to see Bell because I've heard he's been super impressive too. Uh, when he got in the game last year, uh, he caught, I think against Ole Miss, caught a 29 yard pass. That was his only reception, reception last season. But, you know, he was a guy, again, a knee injury guy that if he'd have been, Healthy from the get-go, I think he he would have helped the receiving core quite a bit. On the offensive line, can any of the youngsters make a push? And I'm sort of looking at Tyshawn Wanamaker, Vinny Murphy, Trey Jones, um, because there, there's competition. And it, there's it's not set in stone that these guys are going to start. 
Um, I'm also kind of curious of the left side. I want to see how uh, Jason Turnentine and e, uh, Jalen Nichols look over there because that that's kind of a new group. Uh, moving Nichols inside, I think, was smart. I want to see it for myself, though. Uh, and then Turnentine, obviously, 6'7", 340, has all the ability in the world. Um, you know, so youngsters and then the left side on the O-line. Wide receiver, it's just simply this, who steps up? Who doesn't drop passes? Who gets open? Who looks fast? Who play, Who plays fast? Because I know some guys are fast, but they don't play fast. Uh, and then again, from Beamer last night, you got a whole, uh, you know, you've been hearing a lot of good things lately uh, about Dakari and Joyner and, and all that. And then, you know, you roll through it and, you know, with, with Beamer's uh, interview last night and uh, he goes and, uh, you know, talks about Josh Van and Jalen Brooks and Amarian Brown uh, and then mentions Muse and then EJ Jenkins. So, I mean, Amarian Brown, I mean, I, I know that, you know, he, he, he broke or tied Calvin Johnson's freshman touchdown record at Tech, you know, was not – I don't know if it was you'd call it a sophomore slump. What I was told was he just wasn't in sync with the new quarterback there his sophomore year. Uh, and that happens. If you remember, uh, outside of the one game, he threw five touchdown passes to, you know, Savelle Newton wasn't in sync with Sidney Rice like Blake Mitchell was. Uh, Connor Shaw was not in sync with Alshon Jeffrey in 2011 like, uh, like Steven Garcia was. Uh, and that just – that happens sometimes, uh, you know. Uh, I'm not comparing Amarian Brown to Sidney Rice or Alshon Jeffrey. There's – those guys are a lot different <laughs> than than Brown. Uh, but that – you know, people ask me, well, what happened at Tech with his production drop? And, and that's what I was told from a good source. Uh, and, and so I, I think still, even with his size, which if you're going to run the ball like Carolina's planning on it, you, you know, your receiver's got to block. I mean, that, that's – you know, if you're getting run over out there, you're probably not going to, you know, be out there for very long. You know, there's a lot of tunnel screens and things like that in this offense where the receivers are going to have to block. But uh, I, I do know that, you know, in spite of the fact that, you know, you hear about three different receivers every third day, that Brown has had a good spring and they're counting on him. So that's a good thing there. Uh, I, I, you know, Everybody got mad about Jalen Brooks last year because they were like, you know, they're hyping him or, or whatever. And, and I want people to, to go look at like what actually happened. And, you know, players can be good and make bad plays. Players can be good and have potential and not play that well. And, and Brooks did not, you know, couldn't get off the line at LSU. That was a pick. Couldn't catch the long pass early that would have maybe given the game some momentum against A&M. Um, and then down the stretch, you know, he started – started catching some passes a little bit. Athletically, he belonged. You know, it wasn't like you looked out there and go, that guy's slow, you know, or anything like that. So, you know, and he kind of came in late. So don't I wouldn't give up hope on, on him just yet. Same with Xavier Leggett and Rico Powers. All three of those guys have the ability and the athleticism. Um, so we'll see what happens there at receiver. I'm just looking who steps up out of the cornucopia of mentions that we've had, because I think almost every receiver on the roster has been mentioned at one point or another, you know, who's actually going to step up. Uh, and then quarterback Doty and then some, obviously everybody wants to see Doty throw the ball well. And, um, 
you know, that hopefully he will. Uh, again, I don't think a bad spring game means everybody needs to get toxic about it and start having these concerns about how he's going to play. Lots of guys have not so good spring games and, and go on and, and, and have good seasons. Lots of guys have great spring games and then really struggle when the season gets there, you know, cause there's a summer of hype and <laughs> expectations get out of whack and, and stuff like that. I just, you know, I want to see good solid game. And I, I'm curious to look at Colton Gauthier, Connor Jordan and Jason Brown throw the football, uh, particularly Jason Brown. I think there's a, probably a chance Jason Brown goes in to the spring game and, and has some decent throws and some bad throws and is sort of still inconsistent and up and down. But I think throwing him out there in that scenario is good for him because, you know, the more reps you get, the more you start adjusting it. You know, he's a proven quarterback. It's not like he's never played the position before. Uh, This is just a different level of football, just like with EJ Jenkins. Um, And so I think I wouldn't be surprised to see Brown get a ton of reps, a ton of reps uh, on Saturday. Uh, And, and, you know, this Connor Jordan walk-on guy uh, watched him in, some uh, pregame workouts and, and practice workouts when Muschamp was there. I always thought he threw the ball pretty well. I mean, he's not, you know, your normal type walk-on out of Raleigh. You know, I, obviously, if, if it gets to the fourth string, the Gamecocks could be in some trouble. But uh, – uh, and who knows, he may be third right now because they like him. But looking forward to seeing him because, you know, that that's a guy, you know, like 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 a, that may have to step in and, and win you a game like Michael Skarnickia, you know, sometime. Uh, so that's what I'm looking at there. And certainly, uh, hopefully they get it in at some point because I'm I'm, I'm kind of jonesing <laughs> to kind of see some of these guys in live action and football and, and see how it works and, and the coaching that goes on. I think that's uh, it's kind of a showcase. I think that would be a, a really, really big deal. Um, so anyway, all right. So Gamecocks baseball, switching back to baseball, D one baseball has a projected field of 64 and the Gamecocks are the 14th seed in Columbia matched up against TCU in the Fort Worth regional Gamecocks, Campbell and Charlotte and the university of North Carolina, uh, would be sent to Columbia under the D one baseball uh, scenario in Fort Worth, you'd have TCU, Bryant, Oregon State, and UConn. Remember, Gamecocks played UConn in the Supers a few years back. Oregon State's obviously had a long track record of success. Uh, TCU, very, very good program as well. Uh, these things never work out exactly. They're just kind of fun to talk about. Uh, and then Baseball America, I think I may have mentioned this. Uh, they have the Gamecocks' 14th seed. Pittsburgh's coming on that scenario, Liberty and UConn as the fourth seed. Uh, and then they're matched up against the Texas regional, which would be Texas, UCLA, San Diego, and then Bryant they had there. So going back to Austin, that awesome turf, you know, uh, would be kind of interesting. But take care of business tonight and then tomorrow, Saturday, whenever, and Carolina probably shoot. I don't know. They they probably uh, probably end up being a lot higher than 14th, don't you think? Probably so. Uh, pitching matchup for tonight, 
Far for the Gamecocks, two and three with a 3.28 ERA against Bolden, who's two and zero with 4.63 ERA. Brandon Jordan, four and two with 3.15 against Paulette uh, for Game Two, one and two with 4.06. And then Will Sanders set to start the Game Three uh, TBA on Arkansas's end. Arkansas's hit the ball pretty well this year. Uh, they've had some close games. They've had some losses to some of the bottom teams, kind of like they. You know, it's kind of like the Gamecocks in a sense that, you know, they have one big series sweep. Gamecocks were against, was against Florida at home. Arkansas was at Mississippi State, which, if you've looked at baseball crowds in Mississippi lately, there there's a bunch of folks going, and and Mississippi State's never an easy place to go get a win. They swept them out there, uh, and so I think that's probably the difference with the RPI and all that's road sweep versus home sweep. But then they've lost a game one to Auburn, a, a game three to A and M uh, here and there. Uh, and you know they I don't think they've played Vandy or Florida yet. Uh or Tennessee. Have they played Tennessee? I don't know. Um, but you know, so so they they've played uh some of the good teams around the, the league and and certainly the uh here we go, we can get this. I'll give you the schedule. I, I aim to please here. ArkansasRazorbacks.com. I probably should have had this ready to go, but that's okay. All right, so the, the most impressive thing they really did was, so far this year, that those games in Arlington, Texas, uh, the SEC Big 12 matchups, they beat Texas Tech, who's number three, 13-9. They shut Texas out for nothing. And they beat TCU 4-1. to So they won all three of those against top 10 teams. Tech is number three right now. Texas is number nine. TCU number 10. And they rolled through, you know, Louisiana Tech's a team I mentioned with a high RPI. They took two or three from them. Lost a midweek against Oklahoma. All right, so so here's where it gets a little weird. Alabama, which is number – Alabama's pretty good this year. In game one, in Fayetteville, beat them 16-1. to Uh, But the Hogs came back and took two of three. Then there was the sweep at Mississippi State. So they've beaten this year number two, number three, number nine, and number 10. And they swept Mississippi State, 8-2, 11-5, and 6-4. Come back against Auburn, lose game one, two to one. They won a one-run game in game two, and then one in 10 innings in game three. Auburn's two and 13 in the league right now. They're, they're at the bottom. Ole Miss, so actually, yeah, so and Ole Miss is ranked fourth, I think, at on the road again. So, so they're five and one in the state of Mississippi this season, seven to three. They lost thirteen to six game two, and then won eighteen to fourteen, the final game of the of the series. A and M, they got off to a great start, won thirteen nothing, then went ten innings uh, on the second game of a doubleheader and won two to one, and then on the in the Sunday game. The last game the Hogs played, AM won. So there's impressive play against the better teams on the schedule. Um, and so you look at it and you say, well, they've had some head scratching losses. And they, yeah, but they've also, when, it, when they've played a ranked team or a team that's in the top 10 or near the top 10, like Carolina, they've, they've responded. I mean, five and one. Uh, against uh, Mississippi, Mississippi State, both on the road. 
Uh, and then eight and one. So they have an eight and one record against teams ranked in the top 10. All of those games are, are away from Fayetteville. So, so they've been kind of road warrior esque, but you know, it's baseball. And uh, sometimes those things, you have a lot of success in an area you shouldn't. And then the rooster, uh, you know, the rooster comes home to roost, so to speak. I don't know what, what the heck that, that is anyway. Okay, time for the mailbag as we are rapidly getting toward the uh, end of the show. There are two ways to get in the mailbag. First and foremost, you can tweet to us, and I like that. We're getting more and more tweet messages, and I think that's amazing. Um, At the Big Spur Pod. And please follow that account up to 538 followers, probably – you know, would love to get that thing up to around 10,000 or something like that. Got to expand the listener base, like I said earlier. Uh, and this one comes in from Ricky. He says, at the Big Spur Pot, any chance Step can get Mike Woods to become a Gamecock? And will we even have room? Well, it's an interesting question. With Woods, first and foremost, I, I, based on what I've heard, I think Oklahoma – has a great shot at him and it's a, it's a good situation. I mean, the kid is from Texas. Okay. Oklahoma is very popular in Texas. They're a, a playoff team. They have a need at wide receiver heading into next year. And you know, you know, Spencer Rattler is going to be throwing you the pad. You know, you're going to be running it wide open in the big 12 and, and you can Mike, what Mike Woods needs is a season where he catches 50 to 70 balls. Uh, Cause he's been splitting time or whatever. And, I think he could achieve that at Oklahoma quite easily. And so I, it's one of those things where, for from a Gamecock perspective, that kind of sucks. Uh, but it's not like, you know, he's just out there chasing the biggest-name program. I mean, Oklahoma is a big-name program. But, but you know, you, uh, you have tangible reasons to go. Now, the Gamecocks are in the mix. And I do think that they could make room for him either over the summer or in August. Uh, and he does have a great relationship with Justin Stepp, and, and I know that they're, you know, trying. Uh, and so I, I think that while I, you know, based on all the feedback, Oklahoma's probably the team to beat. Uh, there's some talk about at Texas A&M as well. Keep in mind, he's a Texas kid. Uh you know, and, and South Carolina is even further from home than Arkansas. But, you, you know, you, you never know. I've seen Justin Stepp win battles like this where you go, man, he, he did a great job there. <laughs> uh, so so you never know. Uh, and they do have a really good relationship. Uh, but right now I, I would lean toward Oklahoma. Uh, and, and, look, these portal transfers don't last very long. So – you know, you may be listening to this and he's already committed to Oklahoma or whoever. So so it may be a moot point, but Gamecock, or I mean, Ricky, thank you for – Gamecock Ricky is his name. Uh, thank you for uh, the tweet. I appreciate that. All right, Noah emails in. JC, hope you're doing well with two big-time special teams coaches and Beamer and Limbo. I was wondering if you had any ideas on who could return kicks and punts next year. Could it be Zaquandre White or Juju McDowell? Um, I think kickoffs – my my feeling right now is White 
and DeCarrie and Joyner. And, uh, you know, Joyner didn't get a lot of opportunities last year. Finally got a pretty good one uh, at Kentucky last game of the season. I think it went about 40, 50 yards. Um, I think he's a guy that when he has the ball in his hands and can kind of use his vision and feet and cutting ability, he could be dangerous. Uh, same thing with Saquandre White. You know, I think I think that those are good roles for those guys. Uh, let's say Joyner's not one of the top receivers and not going to lie. I mean, that that's a good role uh, for both guys. Punts, I don't know. <laughs> um, there's been a lot of people working there from everybody from Amari and Brown to you know Jalen Brooks, uh, White, Joyner. I don't know. Uh, could that be a plot for Juju McDowell as a true freshman? Yes, but it's hard for a true freshman, in my opinion, to come in and, and be the punt returner. Now, Juju McDowell is a, a battler, a warrior, if you will. Um, I, I, you know, not the biggest guy in the world, but certainly can is explosive and can make some things happen. So, you know, maybe he comes in and takes it over. I think it would be helpful – you know, because I, I I sort of look at, at Juju McDowell and say, oh, well, this guy could be a, an elite return guy. Of course, I thought that about Jam Williams, too. And he, never, for some reason, never returned it. I I have a sneaky suspicion based on what I've been told. Jam Williams could not catch the ball at all, you know, or really struggle to hold on to the ball, you know, fielding punts. And, and no coach is really going to risk a turnover like that. Yeah, if you can't hold on the ball and catch it, you're not going to do it. And so that's going to be the key with anybody that returns punts, including Juju McDowell. I'd like to see it just because if he's mastered catching the punt, you know, he's dangerous and can do some things. But, but I, I think, and look, and I can't rule him out on kickoffs either. But right now, I, I lean towards White and Joyner, and I think those two guys can do a good job. You know, the special teams overall, you know, you, you're in good shape. But, you you know, in, in certain aspects of it with both kickers back, Parker White's back. Um, and then, you know, Kai Kroger struggled mightily the first game of the season and then ended up, people may not realize this, one of the best young punters in the country, uh, left-handed, left-footed punter, all that good stuff. And so they're, they're pretty much good to go there, even if Mitch Jeter – you know, even if he doesn't win the kickoff job and it's still Parker White, because Mitch had it last year and then struggled or whatever, uh, you know, Mitch Jeter's still on scholarship as well. So kicker-wise, they're in good shape. I, I think when you talk about the rest of the special teams, the numbers at linebacker and DB start to become, you know, a factor. You know, you need to get healthy at linebacker. You need to get Bam Scott in. Uh, you need to get those DBs in because those are the guys that make up your special teams. Running backs do too. And, and you know you're probably going to be able to count on Zaquandre White out there. And then, you know, with 13 scholarship receivers, you know, a lot of these guys can play special teams. So, you know, you, you, we'll see what happens there. Um, but special teams, I, I think they're going to be well coached. Uh, Shane Beamer mentioned uh, during the call-in show yesterday that, you know, he's seen how you can win games by being good at it. And, yeah, you can. And and there's, you know, special teams – and Frank Beamer said this, too, when Shane was at Georgia, that it used to be you could 
really, really turn a game by emphasizing it. But he said today a lot of people emphasize it. It's kind of a different game. Uh, But you've seen through, you know, through the years, teams that end up being excellent on special teams. And I'm not talking just just good. I mean, excellent. And, you know, those are actually the teams that are recruiting really, really well. (laughs) Because, you know, like in Alabama, one year Alabama had a really good special teams, like outstanding. Uh, And I'm talking coverage units, blocks, things like that. And they had Minka Fitzpatrick and Landon Collins out there. Uh, as freshmen, you know, playing teams. And, and those those guys are difference-making athletes. I mean, uh, Florida under Urban Meyer was exceptional on special teams, but they were loaded with talent too. And, and so I, I think that's kind of how it goes. I thought the special teams under Muschamp, with the exception of some catastrophic breakdowns like Tennessee in 2019, uh I don't know what happened with the kickoff team and the Outback Bowl. That was a game the Gamecocks won, but nobody nobody really talks about the fact that all the fundamentals abandoned, <laughs> you know, the kickoff team in that game and, and and the punts and were not good. I mean, but for the most part, I thought they were a lot they were probably better than Spurriers as a whole. Uh, you know, in terms of, of the you know, kick returns, um, kick coverage, that type of thing. The actual place kicking kind of went as Parker White could go. You know, you lose Elliott Fry, and then, gosh, Parker White's 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. He's he's kicking for a fifth year this year. Uh, it's just gone as Parker White's been. They have had good punters. I mean, Joseph Charlton, one of the best punters, you know, at Carolina, Carolina history. And then, you know, this kid Kroger's off to a good start. So, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag. I, I'm going to say, you know, heading into this year, I feel really good about the kicker and punter and, and those teams. I don't know what to think about the others. And, and I do hope that they're really good and that guys buy in, you know, and, and you know, with, we talk about this, you know, new attitude everybody's had and all that. That, that impacts special teams too because guys start taking pride in it rather than saying, ah, special teams. Um, you know, and all that. So that's all the time we have uh, for today. And uh, we'll be back. Pretty sure we'll have one tomorrow, but uh, not positive. So Red's barking. That's my cue to get out of here. This has been the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert.